Well, Boudreaux, he got these two other friends, Thibodeau and, and Pierre, and they are on their summer vacation. They're down in Florida. And for the first time, they saw this thing called a bungee jump. And they're sitting there looking at all these people. Man, they're paying $40 to go climb up on top of this tower, tie a rubber band to their feet, and jump off of it. Boudreaux, he's a, he's a pretty good entrepreneur. So he said, man, we need to do some of that right there. We can make a lot of money. And so they put their money together. They go back to Louisiana, but they start looking around. And just about every place in the United States has these bungee jumps. So then they figure out, you know what, let's go down to Mexico. They ain't got none down there. So they show up in Mexico City, and they start building the first little layer of their tower, and people start gathering. Boudreaux looks at Thibodeau and Pierre and says, man, we're going to make some money today. I'll tell you that right now. They keep building. They get to second and third tier, and they look out, and people are coming from all over the place. By the time they get that fourth tier on, there's a mariachi band out there. Just everybody sing. It's a giant party. Thibodeau look at Boudreaux and says, we're going to be so rich today. It's going to start the richest things we've ever done did. They finally get the eighth level of this tower put up together, and they look at each other and say, now who's going to jump first to show him how we do it? And Pujo said, I do it. Tie that thing around my ankles. And they got it around his ankles and he jumped. He goes down and as he bounces back up, Pierre and Thibodeau try to grab him, but they miss him. And as they miss him, they recognize he got two black eyes. They say, man, I don't know what happened to him. He comes back up. This time they go to grab him, miss him again, and he's got whelps all over his body at this point. Man, something's wrong with this thing. Third time he comes back up, they finally grab him, bring him up on the top. Boudreaux can't hardly talk. Thibodeau asked him, he said, what happened? What went wrong? Was the bungee cord too long? He said, no. He said, well, did we not clear out the trees or something? He said, no. He said, what's the matter? He said, I don't know, but what in the world is a pinata? We're starting a new series called Squad Goals. Everybody say Squad Goals. So those of us who are a little older, we have no idea what that term is. But all the young adults are using this term, squad goals. They use it a lot on social media. And basically, what it means is their group, what they're going to do. They're going to all lose weight together. They're all going to do such and such together. And we want to title this next series, Squad Goals. It actually means uh, engaging with a group of friends with a purpose of accomplishing something, something for God. That's how we're going to use it here, squad goals. So turn to that person next to you and say squad goals. And so my heart with this series is to help you engage with your church, engage and, and, and create some fresh new relationships with the purpose of doing great things for Jesus, that we could actually change the world. We have a series for this entire series. We have a, a key scripture for our entire series here. It's found in Romans chapter 11 and verse 14. If you'll turn on your Bibles and go ahead and go there with me, or you can look at it on the screen. Romans chapter 11 and verse 14. Paul is speaking. He's speaking in reference to the fact that all of his Jewish brothers and sisters are struggling to become Christians. But every time he meets a Gentile, a non-Jewish person, He's seeing them come to Christ. They're getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. They're moving in power. And so in relationship to that, he says this in verse 14 in Romans 11. It says, if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. Paul says, listen, let's show them how good God is and cause that to provoke them to jealousy. When When they see that we are living by faith and we're not stuck in the old covenant, but we have a new covenant by faith, that Jesus was the Messiah. When they see us healing the sick and raising the dead, that's going to provoke them to jealousy because they're going to say, our religion, is, it, it, it's, not cre- it's not that, it's not life. And they're going to want that. And that's what Paul's talking about. And listen to me, Christian, here at Church on the Hill. It is my heart and my goal for you that you live this scripture out, that your relationship with Jesus is so amazing That the friends that you do life with here in this church is so wonderful that it provokes everyone else to jealousy around you. That your coworkers say, now listen, the boss is a jerk. How come you're always smiling? He say, well, I'll just tell you, first and foremost, because Jesus Christ is in my life. And second of all, because I'm getting text messages from my small group right now encouraging me not to go stab the boss in the throat. It's amazing what I got going on right now. Each and every one of us need to be a part of a squad or what we call here in our church a small group, a group of relationships that actually are going forward and accomplishing great things for God. And that's kind of the theory and the concept of the entire New Testament church. The Bible says that they met house to house. They went from, in other words, they were meeting in homes. There were houses over here that had Christians in it, houses over here that had Christians in it, and they were doing life together. In fact, we don't call small groups, we don't call them Bible studies. 
Because they're not just Bible studies. We don't call them events, and we don't even do our small groups based on interest. We do our small groups based on a couple concepts. Number one, that you have a friend. I want you to have a friend that's a Christian. Number two, that we want you to do life with somebody. Everybody does life differently. Some, some For our empty nesters, they have small group gatherings two and three times a week because they got nothing else to do. For our single people, they're meeting like 16 times a week because like, I need something to do or else I'm going to end up in the clubs. For those of us that are married with kids right now, they're playing soccer and gymnastics. You know, Those small groups, a lot of those guys, they meet like once a month, but they're always on the phone with each other. We're doing life together, and then we're taking spiritual responsibility for it. That's the vision of this house. And so you're like, I don't understand. Y'all don't have like a single suffering group for single moms who have one eye that doesn't work and who drives a a condo accord. Yes, we don't have a ministry like that. We call it small groups. Just connect with other people. And not only that, I don't want to isolate us into groups of people that look exactly alike. For example, if you're a black person, you need white friends. If you're a white person, you need black friends. If you're a Hispanic person, you need black, white, and Hispanic friends. I mean, we need each other. The reason why we're so segregated still in the United States and have still so much difficulty is because we won't reach out and go cross-cultural with each other. But if we'll do that here, and our church is breaking that mold, and we're forcing the issue because we believe that God wants to bring revival to the United States of America, and it's going to come through people like you and me who are saying, you know what, this is my brother, and I'm standing with him. I understand what he's going through and we're standing together with this thing and that's what it's going to look like. So with that being said, our key passage for today's piece is found in Mark chapter 2 and verse 1. Mark chapter 2 and verse 1. So our subtitle for today's teaching is Friends Like That. So our series is called Squad Goals, but today we're talking about Friends Like That. So hopefully you found Mark chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, a few days later, When Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Verse 3, some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and after digging through it, lowered the man Uh, lowered the the mat, excuse me, the paralyzed man was lying on. Verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. And for the next couple verses, the religious leaders begin to confront Jesus on, wait, you can't forgive sins. And Jesus like, look, I'm the Messiah. Not only can I forgive sins, but I can also heal. So he turns in verse 10 to the paralytic and he says, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And he got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Once again, we have never seen anything like this. We have never seen anything like this. When I studied this passage, I recognized something very tremendous. In verse 5, Jesus looks at them, and he says, when he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Who did he see faith in? Who did he turn to? The four friends. Jesus says, when he sees their faith, talking about the four friends, he says to them, he says to the paralytic, because of their faith, your sins are forgiven. Miracles are happening because these guys have such faith for you. And my question to you is, do you have friends like that? Do you have friends that will rip open a roof to get you to Jesus? Or are your friends constantly trying to get you away from Jesus? Do you have friends that say, listen, all you do is talk negative. You need to shut your mouth and and bless Jesus. You keep talking blah, 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 and your life and death is in the power of the tongue. Do you have friends that say, listen, I love you so much, but you need to stop going out to the clubs. It's killing you. What kind of friends do you have? Because for you and I, you have to understand that God made us to be tribal. He made us to have a team. He made us to operate in life with other people. We're supposed to have relationships. It's what strengthens us. It's what's encouraging to us. It's what keeps us full of life and vitality. These these four guys, picture what they've done. Now, Jesus has come to Capernaum. He's come to a home, and he's in this house, and the people hear that he's there, and they just come flocking. And you got to understand, the homes in those days, in this part of the world, in this century of time, they're, they're, they're flat-roofed houses. They're made out of stone. 
they have some type of uh, clay stone combination roof. And what they would do is they would build their homes, and then their rooftop would be kind of like their place where they would, they would almost do their, their business. They would, they, would, they, would, they would dry out their clothes, they would wash their clothes, and some type of pot or something, and they would dry it out on, on top of the roof of the house. They would sit out there and relax in the evening time once the cool of the day had, had transpired. And they typically made the access to the ro- roof alongside of the house, on the outside of the house, like a little stairway, up on the, not from the inside like we build our homes, but the way they would do it is from the outside. So these men all show up. They're running a little late, you know. They're they're you know they're 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 you know they're fashionably late, and so and so they've got this guy. But the house is already packed. They can't get past the front door. Everybody is jammed into this house. They are so packed. I don't know if you've ever been to a concert where they were so packed you couldn't even move. And obviously that's what's happening because they've got this guy in tow. Each one of them got, probably got a corner of the mat, and they're bringing their paralyzed friends. He's paralyzed. He can't move. He can't do for himself. He can't dress himself, more than likely. And so they come, and they can't get past the front door. People are just jammed out. There are people spread out all out into the courtyard, the, for, uh, the front part of the yard, and all that kind of stuff. They can't get. So they look at each other and go, we got to get him to Jesus. What are we going to do? And somebody's got the bright idea. Let's go up on the roof. So they go around the side, and they carry this dude up on the roof. And then someone goes, here, here's a pickaxe. Let's rip the roof open. Come on, all you 80s folks, raising the roof. All right, so they start, they start cracking open this roof, moving tile, cracking open down through the masonry work, that kind of stuff, the clay, and then the, the, the two-by-fours or the wood beams that they probably had, you know, mixed in with all the different type of uh, workings that they had. Can you imagine? There's, imagine right here, right now, if all of a sudden something starts happening on this roof. It don't matter how good I'm preaching, y'all going to start doing this. I wonder what's going on up there. All of a sudden insulation starts falling down on you like uh-uh and some of you ladies like oh no you did not no I just had this done so stuff starts happening and then all of a sudden there's this there's this crack of light as a sunbeam comes down through because they crack a hole open then they start getting the shovels and I mean stuff is falling down imagine if they're so packed in stuff is falling on people's heads they're missing chunks of of of, of plasters falling down on top of people like oh what are you doing when all of a sudden four faces look over the hole and then they take their paralyzed friend, they tie a rope, you know, on him with a mat and all, and they start lowering that bad boy down. So this paralyzed guy starts coming through the roof. <laughs> and then they, and he lays, and, 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 and can you imagine, they found a way to make room all of a sudden. And all of a sudden, his, his limp body, he's paralyzed, is just kind of falls down to the ground as they, as they lay him lightly. I hope they didn't drop him. They wouldn't have felt it. But anyway, they put him down on the ground all of a sudden. And then Jesus responds to this moment again in verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith. Whose faith? Friend's faith. This guy has four crazy friends. Four crazy friends. you got to be crazy to rip open somebody's roof because you're going to pay for that. Like you know the person that owned that house is like, oh, you're paying for that. You're paying for that right now. I'm going to tell you right now. What's your name? I mean, they're going to get their money out of this whole deal, right? And they don't care. They're still lowering down. And Jesus says in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, he saw their faith. He's like, what? Y'all are awesome. The guy owning the house is like, no, they not. And he's like, this is awesome. When he saw their faith, he turns to the paralytic and he says, your sins are forgiven. He's about to continue with what he was about to say from there, but he gets interrupted. And, and, and the Pharisees go, wait a minute. You can't forgive sins. You're just a fellow. You're just a dude. And she's like, no, I'm the Messiah. Shut up. And then he, verse 10, he, so he finishes the conversation as quickly as he can. He turns back to the paralytic and he said, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. And all of a sudden, this paralytic who's down on the ground, can you imagine? Sorry, anyway. I had an 80s flashback. I apologize. I apologize profusely. All of a sudden, he jumps up, man. And and now, again, the crowd is in this house, right? Imagine the dudes looking out through the hole. Yes! Yes! I told you, Boudreaux. I know. I knew it would happen. Yes! And all of a sudden, the guy jumps up. Can you imagine? He doesn't just go, "That, that was good. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. All right. Okay. All right. That guy's going crazy. Yeah, yeah, whoa, whoa, how do 
make these work. I mean, I mean, he is excited. And the Bible says this. It closes out that, that whole scene with, we've never seen anything like this. It's a miracle. You and I need miracles in our lives. But I tell you, we also need crazy friends in our life. People who will get us to Jesus when we're going through the trials of life. And so, I, don't, I just was thinking about these guys, and it kind of brings me to think a couple things about them. Why would they do this? Why, what kind of men were they? I mean, what compelled them to do this? And here's a couple thoughts. Number one, they had faith in Jesus. They had faith in Jesus. Do your friends have faith in Jesus? They had faith in Jesus. Like, if we can get him to Jesus, it'll all be okay. I think so many people, and, and their friends at work, and their friends from, you know, back in the day, school, whatever, on Facebook, and the moment they start going through something, people start telling them to do stupid things. Like, you just need to leave her. Like, you just need to da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Well, one time, you know, that's what happened with me, with me and my 10th marriage. It's like, why are you listening to them? What you need is somebody who's going to get you to Jesus. You need the kind of friends that actually have faith in Jesus. And the problem with your faith many times being weak is because you're hanging with people whose faith is weak. The reason why you keep going back to the clubs is because the people you spend time with go to the clubs. The reason, why, the reason why you keep messing around and you got this private little social media thing going that nobody knows about because that's what your friends have going on over there. And so what you need is some friends that actually care about you and also care about faith in Jesus. Here's the second thing that these guys were compelled by, and that is they had a vision for their friend. They have a vision for their friend. They did not want their friend to be forever paralyzed. They didn't want that. They had a vision for something better for their life. The people you spend time with, do they have a vision for something better in your life? Do they care whether or not you've got a strong marriage or whether or not you know, your, your teenage friends are, are, are pulling you away? Do they even care? You and I need people around us that say, you know what? No, you're going to be a great man of God. No, you're going to be an amazing person. God's going to use you greatly. No, don't give in to that. Don't go down that road of depression. God has a plan and a purpose. Here's the third thing. They were, they were compelled because I believe they took responsibility for him. They took responsibility for him. They said, you know what? He's our friend. Can I just explain something to you? There is nothing beneficial for these four guys to have a paralytic friend. The guy brings nothing to the table. Imagine taking him to the mall. It's an act of Congress, getting him in and out. They don't have, you know, uh, handicapped parking in these days. There's no governmental support for handicapped folks. That handicapped per- person lives or dies based on whether or not people will give him, will, will give him money. He's basically a beggar. But these friends say, you know what? You're not going to be like that. We're going to take, was he living in their homes with them? Did they pass him around from house to house? Because, you know, that person's still a human. And so even though they're paralyzed, they got good days and bad days. And can you imagine the day that they're grumpy and mean to you? You're like, look, I will leave your butt on the side of the interstate. I'm going to tell you that right now. You better start being nice. And so, you know, he brought nothing to, he, he didn't have any money. He, he couldn't help them work or clean the house or anything like that. He couldn't benefit in that capacity. But these guys loved their friend. I don't know if he had been injured and paralyzed or born paralyzed. There's no clarity in Scripture about it. There's obviously clarity that they loved him. So much so that they would rip open a roof, cost them financial difficulty, potentially even going to jail for damaging someone else's property. But they loved him because they wanted to help him. They took responsibility for him. Who has your back? Who says, you know what, I'm going to take responsibility for you. Who do you have responsibility for? Who do you care about? Who do you say, you will not die and go to hell. You will not break up your marriage. You will not be a young person who's running off with somebody and sleeping and being in wicked and sexual, all this. You will not, I've got your back, I'm praying for you every day. Who's taking responsibility for you? Well, you, pastor, that's what I pay you to do. Can you, are you kidding me? You got to be kidding me. There's no way I can know all the thousands of people that go to this church like that. That's not even scripturally accurate. Bible says that they met together. They had together. They had each other's back. The body of Christ taking care of one another. According to scripture, I'm supposed to equip you to do that. That's what scripture says. 
And so that's why here at Church on the Hill, we're constantly talking about small group life. Come on, connect with other Christian friends. We're constantly, what we're doing this summer, this, this whole month, is all about days of summer, events and activities, just so you can have fun and, and you can meet people and get to know people better and, and start doing life together with people. Take responsibility. I, Jamie and I, our, my, our baby daughter, you know, she's 11 now, um, but Adlin, and 11 years ago, um, I was traveling full time, and so I would speak somewhere in the nations of the world every weekend, sometimes during the summertime, two and three places a week. And so, <laughs> Jamie, um, we were pregnant with Adeline, and right in the middle of that, we found this house that we, we thought we would buy, and it was a foreclosure. But it was a mansion of a house. It was 4,100 square feet there in Lake Ridge subdivision, two and a half acres looking at the lake. I mean, it was a mansion of the house. And we bought it in foreclosure. Um, for half of what it cost to build that house. And I was so excited. It was going to kind of be a fixer-upper, you know, before there was a Chip and Joanne, there was an Adam and Jamie, and we were going to, like, fix this thing up. And, and they had, for the last, the banks had been squabbling over it because it had two different banks that had investment pieces into this loan, and the people who had owned it just walked away with money and, and just left it abandoned, and squatters were living in it. And this 40, I mean, it is a mansion of a house. It's gorgeous, beautiful. And they'd been living in it for nine months to a year. I mean, they'd set fires in the middle of the living room. And, and, you know, so everything was going to have to be ripped out. And and just, I mean, there were were critters. There were snakes in there. I mean, it was was crazy. But we thought, this is our chance, you know, as as poor ministers. We can get ahead by flipping this house. But, you know, we have to live in it for a season. And so so Jamie's pregnant. We're in the negotiations of buying this house. We're working with the banks. And it becomes really difficult. And so I know any moment she's she going to give birth and we don't have a place to live. We were in an apartment. We told the other house, waiting to transition into this one. And so it was taking a little longer. So Pop, I, I asked Pop to drive in. And so he, he flew in. And I just, I, it, nobody was living in it. So I broke into the house and started fixing it. And my realtor was losing her mind. She was like, you can't do that. I was like, why? She's like, it's not your property. I was like, are you serious? I said, it belongs to the bank. And, and she goes, I know, you're not allowed on the property. It's not your property. I said, I'm fixing it up. I don't think the bank's going to be mad that I'm investing thousands of dollars right now if, if, if the deal doesn't go through. And she goes, you can't do that. So guys, I did that. Don't do that. I'm repenting publicly. But I was under this pressure like, if she has this baby and the house isn't ready. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. So I'm trying to get the flooring done and all this kind of stuff. And so Jamie goes into labor. And... I mean, it's, mag- it's magnificent. Uh, we give, she gives birth to Adeline, and there were a couple little complication things that we were somewhat unaware of. And uh, so they put us in the room, you know, after birth and delivery. We moved to our recovery room or whatever they call it, you know, and we're sitting there, and Jamie starts having some issues. And next thing you know, she's bleeding eternal- internally, we don't know. And she drops two and a half, almost three liters of blood, which I think you only have five or six liters of blood in your body. And as soon as she does, her eyes roll on the back of her head. They hit the panic button. Nurses and doctors come. There must have been 15 people in that room. And uh, they can't get her heartbeat back going. And so that, for a good five minutes. So she's not alive, if you will. Her heart's not beating for five minutes, which is a long, stinking time if you've ever been with someone who's not breathing, their heart's not beating. And so I'm standing over, you will live and not die. You will live and not die in the name of Jesus. You will live and not die. And the, and the nurses and, and, and doctors are like, sir, you're going to have to hold it down. I'm like, that's my wife. I will cut every one of y'all right now. Shut up. This is my, you're going to have to step out of the room. I'm not stepping out of the room. And, and part of it was selfish because I'm like, if she dies right now, I don't even know where our kids go to school. I don't like, I can't feed these kids. Like, you will live in the name of You talk about a prayer life, boy, you get one. All of a sudden, when you realize, oh, I'm going to be in trouble, I can't do this. No, it was about her that I was caring about her. But anyway, and so five minutes into this thing, they get her back going, and she comes back. She tells later that she was walking through fields of flowers, heading towards that bright light off in the distance. Well, thank God he gave her back to me. Three or four days, we couldn't leave the hospital and the reason why is because her body needed to rebuild, rebuild its blood supply and because um, her heart just didn't have anything to pump. It, it was missing a chunk of blood. And so um, wait for her blood pressure to get back up and that kind of thing and, and her body to you know, produce more blood. And, uh, and so they wanted to do some blood transfusions, but when they explained to me the potential difficulties that was going to happen with that, I was like, well, is she, out of the, is she out of trouble? And they said, yes, she's out of trouble. She's just going to be 
she's going to be like almost incoherent for weeks. I said, okay. And if you've ever been in any extended time in the hospital, you want to go home as soon as you can. So I kept asking, I want to take her home. I want to take her home. I want to take her home. You know, I, I can't stand being here. Like, I want to take her home. I want to get it to a place of faith. I want to get it to a place. And uh, we barely got the house. Like, the house wasn't even prepared for, but we got the bed set up in the master bedroom. So that was close enough. The doctor looked at me, and she said, she said, Mr. McCain, I know you're a man of God. If you take her home, she cannot function. She will not function for another 40 days. Like, her brain is there, but it's not turned on. And she was. She was just like a zombie, you know, trying to nurse a brand-new baby and that kind of stuff. I said, I don't care. I want to take her home. She said, you have to promise me, give me your word as a man of God, that you will not let her get out of bed for 40 days. I said, done. Done. Until I started driving home, I was like, what the heck? Like, how are we going to? How are we going to do this? We've got two little kids, two, two kids, and now a newborn, and she can't do anything. Like, Jamie's my rock. Like, her and I together are the one-two punch. I'm like, so, so like, I, how, much, how much frozen food can my children eat, you know, like, like before they begin to show signs of, you know, dying? Like, like, like how much, how am I going to do this, right? Not only that, but I'm supposed to be ministering, and it's an income source for us. How are we going to? What am I going to do for 40 days? Like, we can't not get a paycheck. Like, like, I don't have, like, a job where they pay me even if I don't show up. Like, I go out and I minister, and, and, and they take up an offering for our, our family. So if I don't go out, we don't have any money. It's just trouble. And I want you to know, our small group rallied around us. Some of them are still in this church today as, as leaders alongside of me. They rallied around us. They showed up. They cooked food. 40 days, took the kids to school. I, I promise you, I didn't even know where our kid's school was at. I was like, I know it's in Fort Worth somewhere. That's all I know. I, I, I know that it's somewhere. For 40 days, they cared for us. They helped us. Somehow they cut the grass. I didn't even know we had a lawnmower at that point. I mean, they took care of us. They, I mean, things that, like, I didn't even know. I mean, you think about that. We got kids that are older, too, so they've got soccer practice. I don't even, like, somebody's got to get them to soccer practice. And our small group circled around us. They were friends when I needed it so bad. And so I don't care if you don't like small groups. That's how this church is going to be because it's changed my life. It's changed. It was what the New Testament church did. It's the model that God put in place all throughout Scripture. He, he put them in 12 tribes, his own people, the Jewish people. We see the New Testament church being tribal and small group life. We see that we need each other. We need men and women who will rip open the roof and get us to Jesus. We need people who have our back when no one else has our back. We need friends, and we need to learn to be those type of friends. So how do you get friends like that? Let me give you a couple thoughts on how to accomplish that. So how do you get friends like this, like what I've just described, what we see in Scripture, what we just happened with this paralyzed guy. Let me give you a couple thoughts. First and foremost, you got to stop using limitations, your limitations as an excuse. You got to stop using your limitations as an excuse not to have friends, not to have godly friends in your life. We all have limitations. We're all so busy. We all have 16,000 things we're committed to. But friend, at some point, you got to stop using that as an excuse and say, it's more important that I have Christian friends in my life, that I have people who have my back, who pray for me, who's texting me throughout the week. We all have limitations. We all are really busy. Some of you have large families. But I was talking about, listen, in our first service, uh, you you see um, uh, Brother Johnny and Miss Rosie. They are a large Hispanic family. They've got more kids and grandkids than anybody I've ever met. I mean, just, but they are so faithful to their small group. They're so faithful to the Christian relationships they have here. And they say all the time, we love our family and we have to be there for our family. But we need family. We need someone who, like, you know, is always watching out for us. And we're not always watching out for them, but we're watching out for each other. And their small group, they meet Sunday mornings. They'll come. They'll have coffee in the, in the cafe before, before services. They're texting each other all throughout the week. I'm telling you right now that they have plenty of reasons to have limitations, to have other relationships, because they have more than anybody else that I know has. But they know that it's important that they have Christian relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's the second thing. If you're going to have uh, get these kind of friends, then you've got to start being friendly. And I just want to point this out. Some of you, you're not friendly. Like, I love you. God bless you. But as your pastor, you're mean. I love you. God bless you. You are. You're prickly. It's like trying to hug a porcupine. I mean, we're going to get stabbed. 
We just know it. I mean, during our time, and I purposefully set aside a time. Worship comes to an end. We've prayed for everybody. We've, we've prayed over you blessings. And then I say, bring your tithes forward and to the front. And then I ask you to do something. And most of you rebel against me. That's okay. God's going to fix you. And I ask you to go find somebody and love on them. And you sit there. Let's see if anybody hugs me. And then you sit in the middle of the road where no one can get to you. And you pull all your stuff there, and you blame it on, I don't want to lose my seat. I'm not that great of a preacher, I promise you. Losing your seat's not the factor. The factor is you've now gotten into a rhythm of not being friendly. And you have to learn to break that, okay? Because friendly people have friends. I think about Pop and Mimi up here on the front row, my parents. They are the most friendly people you'll ever meet, right? Pop will kiss you. He will hug you. He will, he, I mean, he will pinch you. He will squeeze you. Everybody's like, I love Pop. The reason why is because Pop has a vision. He has a squad goal, and that is, and he told us, we were at lunch the other day, and he was saying, he said, listen, when I die, I want everyone at my funeral. I want thousands of people at my funeral. I want you to sing, I want you to dance, and then I want you to talk about how great I was. That's what he told us. (laughs) My grandmother was not a friendly person. She was bitter because of what happened to her in her life, She left the church, she left God because her husband left her. And I tell you right now, when my grandmother died, she had less than 100 people at her funeral. The only people that were there, those 100 people were a few family members that felt like they had to. And then all of Mimi and Pop's friends and all of my friends. She she had good reason not to be friendly. People had hurt her. But can I just tell you something? Hurt people hurt people. Because at some point, You've got to sow where you want to go. At some point, you've got to give what you want to receive. And so if you want friends, then you've got to be friendly. You've got to be nice. And next time I say, come on, stand up. Everybody, bring your ties and all over to the front and go meet somebody you don't know. Stop going, mm. Stop just talking to your husband like you got something so important to talk about. I'm watching you. I'm watching you. Man, aren't you tired of those churches? You left those kind of churches where nobody was nice to each other. And so I won't let you create that culture here. I will drive that out in Jesus' name. We're going to be a place that black folk have white friends, white friends have black friends, and Hispanic friends have white, black, and Hispanic, Asian, but we all have friends. That's what's going to fix what's broken in this world is when you and I become relationally with one another. We're going to do it. But you got to be friendly, okay? You got to be friendly. And look at, look at the book of Luke chapter 6 and verse 31. It says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You say, man, I just, nobody's nice to me. That's because you're not nice to anybody. Nobody talks to me. Who do you go talk to? Nobody helps me. Who do you help? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You say, well, somebody's got to initiate it. That's the problem. Nobody wants to initiate things. And so, so you have to come out of that because I believe that without good godly friends in your life, the enemy will draw you right back into the old ways of living. In fact, I don't just believe it. I have enough life experience to tell you 5,000 stories today, right off the top of my brain, of people who love God, and then the enemy isolated them. They had no Christian friends, and before you know, they were right back to their old way of living. Broken, destroyed, divorced, someone else raising their kids. Here's the third thing. How do we get friends like this? Number three, and that is ask God. Ask the Lord. 1 Corinthians 5, 33, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Sometimes what happens is we're in company that we don't even know how to get out of. And so what I've learned to do is ask God, Lord, help me. Lord, help me with that. I, it was my senior year in, going into, you know, my junior, senior year in high school. And, and uh, I'm sitting in the balcony of our 6,000-member church, 6,000-seat uh, sanctuary. I'm with all the kids and youth group that don't really want to serve God. I've become their leader somehow. I've got my arm around my girlfriend, and, uh, and I'm watching. Worship's come to, is coming to an end, and I watch the coolest two dudes walk in with our youth pastor. They go right up to the front row. I mean, it's the coolest black dude ever, bowed up black dude, walking down front with our youth pastor, and the coolest GQ white dude with his hair all done sideways. They walk up to the front, and I see them. I see them. I'm watching them because they're cool. No one can be cooler than me. And I'm watching them. And they walk to the front. They open their Bibles. They're, they're writing in their Bibles and stuff. And, and then service is over and the youth pastor. Now, the youth pastor's been reaching out to me, trying to get me to be a leader in the youth group. And I'm like, I'm too cool for that. I'm too cool for that. I'm too cool for that. 
And, and, and so as I watched them engage, I'm kind of, service is over, kind of hanging out with my friends. I'm watching them out the corner of my eye. And all these young people start gathering around all these guys. All the girls want to go meet these guys because they're good looking and they're cool. And they're talking about Jesus. And I hear the voice of the Lord speak to me so clearly. That's the kind of friends you want. Because these friends have led you down a path of carnality. Those friends will get you, get you serving God and, make, and get into your destiny. Squad goals. Friendship with goals for Jesus. I heard him say that. And I was like, oh, man. And then I felt compelled to go meet him. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't like to walk up to new people either. And, you know? and so I, I forced myself. I walked away from all these guys. I went down front. And then you're like, hey, what, what y'all doing? I'm mad. <laughs> and I just knew they were like, yeah, right, whatever, like we do to everybody. But they did. Oh, dude, what's up? You go to church here? Like, yeah, yeah, I've been going to church here a long time. Man, we're brand new, dude. We just got saved. This dude right here, the youth pastor. Man, he met us at the such and such, and, and, and we just prayed to Jesus. This is awesome, man. You grew up in this? This is amazing. I'm like, yeah, it's amazing. And I realized I'd become carnal and dead. Those guys became my best friends. Man, we began to have each other's back. Brad was the coolest boat-up black dude. He was, he's the captain of the football team at the local, you know, 5A high school. And, 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 and Casey went to another high school. He was the cool, you know, uh, you know surfer-looking dude. He had a Jeep. His parents bought him a Jeep, you know. And, and so we get in the Jeep, take the doors off. We ride around. And all the girls are like, oh, my God. We're like, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I stayed the night at Brad's house, man, and, and, uh, and he stayed the night at my house, and Casey, I mean, just, and so that, that senior year, man, we began to just rock the place for Jesus. I'll never forget that summer of our senior year, we decided we were going to stay strong, because about that time, everybody's graduating high school, they're all going out, getting drunk, going to clubs, stuff like that, quitting on Jesus, you know, all this kind of stuff. We decided we were going to go up to the church every Friday, Saturday night at 10 o'clock, and we we're going to pray for two hours. Pastor let us go up there. We go up there. We pray. Oh, God, revival. Send revival to our city. When the young people, they're all in perversion. Oh, God. When I mean, we're just having fun, you know, and being radical for Jesus. And one night, there's a group of us, three or four more, have joined us. And we're up there praying. And we get this bright idea. You know what? We need to shut down all the witchcraft in this city. It's witchcraft. And down the road from our church is this palm reader. You ever seen these palm reader places, you know? Sister Eve, come have your palm read, something like that. And she had this little place on the main boulevard down the road, Sister Eve did. And we decided that night we were shutting down witchcraft. We're going to pray it down. We're going to pray the heavens open and the devils are going to leave. We're going to do it. And so we decided we are going to go pray. And so we ran to Walmart and we got like five gallons of olive oil. And we're going to anoint the place. We're going to anoint it, and the demons are going to burn right out of there as the anointing oil is set. And then we thought, man, it's going to take forever to, like, you know, anoint all the little places in the front of this building. So I ran to the house, and I got, uh, I got Pop had a, a giant pump sprayer. And so I filled it with the anointing oil, and I put it in the pump sprayer, and we showed up. By this time, it was about 2 o'clock in the morning, and we're a bunch of young guys. In the name of we're laying hands on the front of this building, you know, a palm reader place. Come get your fortune told, and psychedelic, something, something, something. And we're praying, in the name of Jesus, we break it. We break the power of witchcraft. I got to put, in the name of Jesus, we just pray blessings. And then curse the devil's power in Jesus' name. And we're doing all that, right? It's 2 o'clock in the morning, and we're loud. I mean, it's about 5 or 6 of them. young, stupid. We're just, we're just trying our best to do something great for God. By the way, about 10 of those things that we did, don't do that. That was dumb. We shouldn't have done it, but we were just on fire. And I look up and, and the front door, I've got my hands all over the front door and there's a little glass window beside the front door. You know how you have those on the side of your house? And I look up and I'm looking and there is this, I didn't realize she lived there. So we obviously have awoken Sister Eve and she is gazing through the window and see big old, I'm the smallest one obviously, all these big dudes, in Jesus' name, we just pray against you. I mean, yelling at her front door. 
So she doesn't know, are they going to break in here and murder me? She's in her robe. She's got her hair all bouffanted up, you know, trying to, you know, sleep on it, whatever. And here's these young people yelling at her front door, praying or something. And so I, I open my eye and I can see her pull out her phone. She's in full-on panic mode. And she, start, she sees me see her and she says, go away right now. Go away. Leave my place right now. I call the police. And so I just respond. You're the devil. And she goes, you leave my pride right now. I'll put you in jail. I'm like, no, your witchcraft is the devil. We're praying against you right now. And she's like, hello, police. Crazy people out in front of my house. Come quick, come quick. And she goes, they're coming to get you. I said, we don't care. We love Jesus. And you're the devil. I said, guys, I feel the anointing lifting. I don't know about you guys. I think our time is done. I think we might want to get out of here. I just feel a call to IHOP. I think we need to go to eat some pancakes and call it a night. And so we jumped in the cars and got out of there quick. We ended up in jail. Thank you, Jesus. And I, I, don't, I don't think you should ever do that. But there was something about the camaraderie. Let's do something together for Jesus that changes the world. We were stupid. We shouldn't have done that. I, I, I agree with that. I can give you 10 reasons why we probably shouldn't. But our passion and the camaraderie, do you have that? Are you just trying to survive life and go to church? God made you to have friends that have your back, that you're pushing the things of God forward. I'll tell you, you start asking God, and he'll start opening your eyes to people around you in this church, in this Christian community. And this family, that could be those kind of friends for you. The kind of friends that we have each other's back, that we pray for one another, that we go advance God's kingdom together. All these people on this stage, they're going on mission trips, that's their small group. They're going as a small group. That's what they're doing. Small groups are going out and inviting neighbors over to the house and, and, and telling them about what Jesus has done in their life. Small groups together. See, divided we fall, together we stand. You need these kind of friends. You need friends like that. That will rip the roof open and say, you know what? We're going to get you to Jesus. You're not going to live like this for the rest of your life. We see you walking and working again and having self-respect again. We see it and we're going to do what we can to help you get there. Even if it means we get in trouble for ripping the roof open. But we're going to get you to Jesus. Do you have anyone who will knock down walls to get you to Jesus. You have anybody who's praying for you every day? Oh God, oh God, I, I pray for you every day, but I, pray, I, I don't pray for you by name and situation. I can't, there's, not, there's too many of us. Do you have someone who says, I got you back. We're gonna do this together. So well, you know, brother, I've been saved 45 years. I think I know a few things. I don't really need folks. That scares me. That scares me. And I'll tell you why. Because Jesus himself had 12 men with him every day. And if Jesus needed a tribe, a small group, a team, spiritual family, then I don't think I'm better than Jesus. Would you stand with me all across the room? I want to pray with you. This summer we have set up, like every July, our days of summer. Your church has done its best to give you opportunity to make good Christian friends. People in this church have said, you know what, I'm not really good relationally, but I'll open up my life to try to be friends with other Christians. They've taken on the term small group leader. They're not professional ministers. They're just people like you who say, I'll open up my life. I'll, I'll, I'll be friends with people. They try to meet. They try to gather the best they can based on all of our lives, all of our life schedules. We're gonna, the next few weeks, we're going to have fun. As team, as family, as small groups. I've created that so that you maybe could find an inroad. Maybe you've trouble finding inroads. Every, every Sunday, I open up space for you to go meet people. I've got a cafe for you to go meet people and sit around and be nice to each other and, and, and see if there's relationships that develop from it. We recognize you can't force relationships, that they have to happen naturally. But I also know that you've got to start being nice. I also know you've got to get past your limitations and the excuses of, well, I got this and I got that because it's more important 
that you have four crazy friends that'll get you to Jesus every day. It's more important that you got someone who's got your back and knows what you're going through. It's more important that you can rip off the mask and say, I'm struggling. I don't even know if I believe all this. I just, I just, I just, I don't know. I just need somebody to help me. Those guys lowered him down in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus looked up at them and said, your faith is creating this miracle. Not his faith. He didn't have any faith. He'd been like this for a long time. Your faith is creating this miracle. When you see the miracles that are happening in this church, every one of those people say, this person prayed for me. They, they had my back through this whole thing. Our marriage made it. It shouldn't have made it, but they, they were there for us. They helped us. You've got to develop that. Today, as you go to exit in our small group comments, folks just stand around, just hoping to meet anybody that doesn't have a relationship, trying to connect a little bit. They're available for you. I want you to close your eyes with me across the room. And if you recognize that you're just not friendly, then I want you to ask the Lord to help you. If you recognize that you don't have a lot of friends, you don't have a lot of Christian friends for sure, then I want you to ask God. That was our last point here. The Bible says, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Maybe you struggle because you do have a lot of things going. And, and they, they do limit you. That doesn't mean you're completely limited. See, you make the choices of life. Don't blame them on life and scenarios. You get to choose. You live in the United States of America. Land of the free, the home of the brave. You get to choose what you will do with your life. And I'm telling you now as your pastor, you need good Christian friends in your life. You need other couples if you're married. Single folks, you need a lot of good Christian friends because everything is pulling at you trying to pull you back into wickedness, perversion. Everything in this whole world screams pulling you away from the Lord. And you need some solid relationships that are standing there going, come on, we can do this together. Right where you stand, with your head bowed and your eye closed, I want you to ask the Lord, say, Lord, I need good Christian friends like that. Or maybe you have some. You say, Lord, I need to be a better friend to them. I need to be a little bit more faithful to that relationship. Help me, Jesus. Father, I thank you right now for our church. Amazing. I am the most blessed pastor in the United States of America and across the world. I get to minister and pastor the greatest people in the world. Lord God, I love them. I'm so proud of them. This is not me being frustrated. Just the opposite. This is me being a good pastor and telling them we've got to live out what we see in the book of Acts. We've got to live out what the early church knew to be true. We got to go back to what matters, and that's relationships amongst the body of Christ, with each other, covering each other, helping each other. Lord, I know that has to happen naturally. I can't, I can't force that. And so, Jesus, I just pray right now that supernaturally you would help men and women in this congregation find friends. Lord, I pray that people would be open to be nice to each other and reach out a little bit. And those who've not been so comfortable reaching out, don't know how to initiate, then, Lord God, you would get them past their insecurities. And, Lord, we repent right now for being a church, Lord God, that's not as friendly as we want to be. Lord, we want to be friendly with each other. God, I thank you, Lord God. I think we're super friendly, but not enough. There's still more to be done. And then, Lord God, we declare right now that we want to be a church that looks like heaven. And we want to stand against the tide of injustice and the tide of prejudiceness in our nation, Lord God. And Lord God, we want to say, you know what? That's not my culture, how I grew up, but I love you so much. I want to learn your culture and I want to participate in it with you. I don't really know how you think like that, but I want to know you and I'll do whatever it takes. Lord, I thank you that we will be a church that, Lord God, is multiracial, multigenerational. And Lord, those who still carry some of those wounds, Lord God, that you'll help us heal together. Lord, those of us that have had just difficulties in relationships, Lord God, maybe older or younger or uh, different races, Lord God, that you would heal that and that we could operate, Lord God, from a place of experience that we know that we know that we know that what was broken can be fixed if we'll but give it to God. Jesus, I thank you right now for your healing power. And I thank you that we can be friends and have these kind of friends that will rip open the roof, drop us down, get us in the presence of the living God. To hear only to hear the Savior say, your faith is bringing this miracle about. As you keep your head bowed and your eye closed, maybe you say, Pastor, i got to be honest. Today was really cool, but, you know, as I stand here, I, I feel so shameful. I feel guilt because I know that, that I'm not a Christian. I, I'm pretty sure if I died today, I, I wouldn't go to heaven. Friend, I have been right where you're at. And I want you to know that Jesus 
didn't die for us once we became good people. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, Jesus went to the cross in hopes of getting us back. And then the Bible says it like this. If you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, he will forgive you and cleanse you from all that unrighteousness. He'll literally make you his son or daughter just by the confession of our mouth, just by believing in our heart that he's the Christ. You say, well, that sounds so easy. It is. Because all the heavy lifting was done 2,000 years ago when he lifted up on a cross, naked before all men, breathed his last breath, and then went down into the bowels of hell, defeated sickness, death, and the grave, resurrected for 40 days, showed himself to over 500 people. And then now the Bible says he ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Eyewitnesses saw him ascend into the heavens. The Bible says he's there making intercession for us. Today, all of heaven is sitting on the edge of their seat. Will she, will she respond today? Will she come to God today? Will he push God away like he's always done? Or will today be the day that it all changes? With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you feel away from God, if you don't feel like you would go to heaven, you're just a prayer of repentance away. I'd like to pray with you. I don't want to call you forward. I don't want to point you out. But I do want you to have a serious moment. Eternity lays in the balance. Where will you spend forever? Where will you spend forever? What you decide today will determine forever. You come to the conclusion, Pastor, it's time. I'm ready to serve God. Then I want to pray with you. No one's looking. Just me, you, and heaven. I need you to admit that to yourself and to the Lord and to me as the pastor by just simply slipping up your hand saying, that's me, pastor. Pray for me. It's, it's time. I want to be right with the Lord. Quickly, thank you. God bless you. Who else will say, pray for me, pastor? Thank you, brother. You put it back down. Make sure I see your hand. Just, pastor, pray for me. It's time. I see you. Thank you so much. Anybody else? About three or four more seconds. I don't want to leave this, this place like this. I'm ready to ask Jesus into my life. Amen. You can put your hands down. I want to lead you now. A prayer, a prayer of repentance, a prayer of dedication, a prayer of confession, making Jesus your Lord. In fact, I'd like everyone in the audience to pray alongside of you. And I want you to know this, that the moment that you lifted your hand, the moment you admitted to yourself, I need Jesus, the whole process started. The prayer, there's nothing magical about the prayer. The prayer is just simply like signing, signing on that document when you bought that car or that house. You're signing to it. Yes, I'm done. I'm in it. I'm for Jesus. He's for me. So today, as I lead you in a prayer of repentance, I want you to mean it with all of your heart. Those in the congregation, pray alongside of us. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I admit I'm a sinner. I recognize I've sinned against you, Jesus. And I pray now that you would forgive me. Wash me clean. Write my name in your book of life. I receive your forgiveness. And here and now, I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I am yours forever. I am yours forever. I love you, Jesus. And I call it so in Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray for those men and women who lifted their hand, who cried out for you. I thank you right now. They'll feel the peace of God. No more guilt, no more shame. It's gone. Lord, I pray, Lord God, that when they have these moments in the days ahead where maybe they stumble and fall and go back into some old sin, that they'll step back up and say, wait a minute. I may not be perfect, but I am forgiven. And when the lies come to their mind, you didn't mean it, you don't really love God, they'll say, no, 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 no. I may make mistakes, and I'm still learning, but I belong to Jesus. I'm his son, I'm his daughter. And may this truth win out against all the wickedness of this world, every lie that would try to propagate. Jesus, I bless them who made you their Lord today. I bless them with vitality. And I pray that the joy of their salvation would be evident right now and that they would enjoy being forgiven we call it as so in jesus name and all god's people shouted amen and amen come on